0: You are listening to the Freedom Fellowship Audio Podcast from Freedom Fellowship Church in Tontytown, Arkansas. Our mission is to love God, love others, and serve both. And now let's listen in to this week's sermon. Luke chapter 9 verse 51 is where we'll begin this morning. And we will enter into chapter 10. So far in our study of Luke, verse chapters 1 through 3, we saw the revealing of the advent of Christ. Then chapters 4 through 9, we are given a description of the beginning of Christ's ministry and the works that He performed, the miracles, the teachings. And here, beginning in chapter 10, actually, uh, chapter 9, verse 51, we change gears as Luke gives his account that focuses more on the words of Jesus. Prior to this, he's focused a lot on the works of Jesus. But also at this time, as we'll, let's read verse 51 of chapter 9. As the time grew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival, but the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. Some versions say he had his face set toward Jerusalem, but this is a case in which now as the ministry is nearing an end that Jesus is preparing to face the cross. And there's a lot of things that are going to take place before he actually will be crucified. And Luke gives us a visual picture of what Jesus did on his way to the cross. So as we get into this, this study this morning, going into chapter 10, we see that Jesus is now on that road to redemption for mankind. We have seen the revelation of the Son of Man. Now we're going to see the rejection of the Son of Man. Luke 10, verse 1. The Lord chose now chose 70 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places He planned to visit. He's going to have a long trip and He's going to go through many villages and towns. Notice that He chose 70. Now, earlier in chapter 9 of Luke, we see that he set the 12, the 12 apostles that he had chosen. He sent the 12 out. And what I thought was very interesting about the point that he sent out the 12, and let's go back to chapter 9 and verse 1. One day, Jesus called together his twelve disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out all the demons and heal all the diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. You know, it was interesting. You know who was one of the twelve who went out to teach and to heal and cast out demons? Judas was. Judas was involved in ministry. But Judah's heart was not for Christ; it was for himself. He did he he could say all the right things and do all the right things, yet he was not a servant at heart. And we see it all the time now. We see guys who who profess to be preachers and ministers of the gospel, and yet they're self-serving, and they're a lot like Judas. So they can say all the right things and and make people believe, but yet in the end, where's their heart? So now, here in chapter 10, Jesus picks 70. 70. We tend to think that the ministry of Christ was just confined to the 12 that apostles or disciples that were with him and himself. It's a large group. He picked from a large group of followers, a large group of disciples, 70 people. And he tells these 70 in, to go out and find the lost sheep. Now, Matthew gives us gives us an account of this. In Matthew 10, verse 5. Well, excuse me, that's them with the 12. In Matthew 10, verse 5, Jesus had sent the 12 apostles out with these instructions. Now this goes back to prior to what's happening here with the 70. He tells these 12, don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Is it ironic or is it coincidence or was it planned to have 12 apostles? 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles. That number is not a coincidence. Now Jesus tells these 12, going back to Matthew 10 and Luke 9, you're to go out and teach the lost sheep of Israel, the Jews. Now here in chapter 10, Jesus sends out 70 and he gives them no restrictions of who they talk to. He doesn't tell them, just talk to a few. He says, teach them all. Now, why 70? Well, those numbers in the Bible are not just random. When you study numbers in the Bible, they all have a meaning. We're not told the exact reason why there were 70, but all, we also know that Moses went up on Mount Sinai and he carried with him 70 elders to witness the glory of God on that mountain. Exodus 24, verses 1 through 9. Jesus has chosen 70 to see the glory of God on earth as they go out and they minister and perform miracles themselves. Another Ironic issue with the number is from the Jewish history, the Sanhedrin was made up of 70. That had its roots back to the days of Moses, the 70 elders. The Sanhedrin was put together as a political religious group to oversee religion in Israel. And there were 70. But those are, those are things in which are very pointed and you just stop and think the reason behind it. So here's the instructions that Jesus gives the 70. Look in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 10. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to see, send more workers into his fields. Now Go. He says, pray and go. He tells them the harvest is great. Don't wait, but go. As we see graduates that today start a new phase of their lives, they're excited about what their future holds. Are we excited as a church about what our future holds? Are we excited about the possibilities that can take place here at Freedom Fellowship? Are we excited about the possibilities can happen in our own lives spiritually? See, we we're very timid about evangelism. We're very at times we're very timid about sharing Jesus with somebody. But this is a good example. Jesus told these seventy, "Go and share the good news." And he tells them, "If you need help, pray. Pray." You need more workers. Pray. He just told them to go. We're hesitant to do that because we're afraid. But he tells here in verse two, if the har- the harvest is great, so pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Everyone in here knows somebody that doesn't have Jesus. How are they going to know if you don't tell them? You need help, you pray to the Lord harvest. It's the last lesson we learn here. It's about you got to go. you've got to go. You've got to share Christ. Ask the Lord who's in charge for help. Now, he goes on in the latter person, verse 3, and said, Now you go and remember that I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Lambs among wolves. Wolves are predators that mutilate sheep. And the very idea of going out into the world of imminent danger, that's what he's telling them they're facing. He gives a graphic picture of this, of what the world's really like. You parents of graduates, are your children prepared to go out into the world? Are your your children ready because the world is full of wolves? If they don't carry Jesus with them into the world, they will be eaten up. So it's a lot for us to learn through this. It's a lot to learn about how life really is. That we're here to serve Jesus, to share Jesus. And we're not going to be liked if we do that. We're not going to be respected if we do that because the enemy causes disruption. In Matthew chapter 10, Matthew's account of this same story talks about in verse 16. This is how Jesus told them how to handle unbelievers. Look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, so be shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. Some versions use the word serpent. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. In other words, have no self-serving agenda. But be smart. Ask God for wisdom of how to navigate through this world of unbelievers. So that's the message there. Be humble, but not gullible. You know, Jesus gave us an appropriate way how to deal with unbelievers who are trying to entrap us. And when he talked about it, and we'll see it in Luke 20, when the Pharisees tried to entrap him by saying, what about paying taxes, Jesus? Render to Caesar what is Caesar's, render to God what is God's, what he told them. We don't get into arguments, we don't fall into traps like that. You see, it's about sharing Jesus and not creating arguments. When he sent out the 70, he gave them specific guidelines and in beginning of verse 4 and run through 8, we don't have time to go through each one of those because they were very specific for the job they were doing at that time. But I want to bring attention to verse 5. It says, whenever you enter someone's home, first say, God's peace be on this house. When you share Jesus with someone, you want to share the good news, you pray, God, bring peace upon this conversation. Bring peace upon this meeting I'm having with them. You're not alone. The Holy Spirit is with you. And we pray for God's peace to be over that moment so it doesn't turn out to be a bad situation. They were instructed to bring a blessing of peace to each home. And it goes on to talk about that, that they were to trust God to provide. So, verse 9 of chapter 10 tells us what Jesus wanted the 70 to do. Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you now. The healing's pointed to the message. We've seen that time and time again through these first ten chapters. It's about the message. And our message should be the same. I'm telling you, our message, it needs to be that Jesus is coming. You look at the things going on in this world right now, you better get your attention. Jesus is coming back. And whether we want to accept or believe it all, there's a lot of signs pointing to this world will not exist forever. There is a plan of God for the end of time. And we need to pay attention. So verse 10 of Luke 10 in ver- through 12. But if a town refuses to welcome you, go out into its streets and say, We wipe even the dust of your town from our feet to show that we now have abandoned you to your fate. And know this, the kingdom of God is near. I assure you, even wicked Sodom will be better off than such a town on judgment day. There are consequences for those who reject the peace of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said that these cities that rejected his message were in trouble because they saw greater work by God than Sodom did. There's accountability for hearing God's message and not responding to it. Now, verse 13. What sorrow awaits you, Corazine and Bethsaida, for the miracles that I did And you have been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon. Their people would have repented of their sins long ago, clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. Yes, Tyre and Sidon were better off on Judgment Day than you. And you, people of Capernaum, will you be honored in heaven? No, you will go down to the place of the dead. Now these are the words of Jesus, and here's why he's responding this way. There were three cities in Jesus' day, that he was comparing to ancient cities of Old Testament times. He mention Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom. Now the corresponding cities that he's talking to are cities he had been in. And he had been teaching. And you look at Capernaum, you look at all the things that Jesus did there, there were more miracles and more sermons preached in Capernaum than any other city recorded in the Scripture. More. Jesus spent had headquartered himself there for a long time. He, the healing of Jairus' daughter, the healing of the nobleman's son, healing of Peter's mother-in-law, man delivered of demons. That's the place that dug a hole through the top of the house and lowered the man down in front of Jesus to be healed. The woman healed with blood disorder, and it went on and on and on, and the people saw these things. They witnessed them. They heard Jesus talk. And he's when he's telling them, here he is. You witnessed in your town and heard things unlike any other place in history. You have witnessed glory and have not honored it. And He says, you won't be honored in heaven. You will go down to the place of the dead. And we weren't told of all the things he did in the other two cities, but we know that there are miraculous events and teaching that took place there. So what is the sin of Capernaum? What is the sin of the other two cities? What did they do that was so wrong? It's not that they were against Jesus. They ignored him. They ignored him. Their sin was that they ignored Jesus Christ and didn't make him the king of their lives. They were apathetic. It's a great offense against God to ignore his son. We ignore the message. We ignore the sender. Apathy is what they're guilty of. Don't really care. One way or the other. Apathy toward the Lord's church is sin. Apathy toward the message is sin. If you are non-committal. If you're non-committal to the truth. If you're non-committal to the church. You're non-committal to Jesus Christ. You're apathetic and you're living in sin. That's what scripture is teaching. The one who rejects Jesus rejects God. God. And he said to the disciples, anyone who accepts your message is also accepting me. This is verse 16. And anyone who rejects you is rejecting me. And anyone who rejects me is rejecting God who sent me. The message. The message is the truth. In the truth, we cannot ignore. And we're non-committal. When somebody says that there are many paths to heaven, the universal God, and I saw something recently on, uh, actually it was on some preachers talking with Oprah Winfrey, of all people. And they agreed with her. Oh, there's many paths to God. And they're supposed to be preachers of the gospel? They are wolves devouring the truth. There is one God. When they reject Christ as being the only way to God, they reject God himself. 1 John 2. And who is the liar? Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ Christ. Anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an antichrist. Anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father. But anyone who acknowledges the Son has the Father. Ephesians 4 and verse 5, there is one Lord. There is one faith. There is one baptism, one God, one Father over all. And the scripture says, anyone who denies that fact is the Antichrist. Apathy. Not standing for the truth. What's going on in churches today? They're arguing and fussing over the homosexuality issue. They're fussing over abortion trying to say, well, in certain cases, God said there's sin and that's what there are. You're apathetic if you won't take a stand for the truth. And Jesus told these 70 that return back to him, if they reject the truth, it's better they'd never heard it because their fate will be worse than the people of Sodom. Grace is... Is what God gives us to rescue us from sin. It is not, as Paul wrote in Romans six, a license to sin, a license to ignore the truth. Grace is God's love given to me, and I don't deserve it. But not grace is not covering. Not did I just ignore Him? In verse 17, the 70 returned with great news. They had gone out, they had taught, they had preached. When the 70 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. They learned that when they were bold, God was with them and they could do more than they could possibly ask. Jesus responded this way in verse 18 and 20. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Jesus saw the enemy when he rebelled against God. He said, fall from heaven. And look, I've given you authority. And he talks about how they can have power over the enemy. We have power over the enemy in the name of Jesus Christ. The name of Jesus, even demons will shudder. We have that power. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. So why are we so apathetic? Why do we not just care? Isn't that what apathy is? Just one way. I don't need Jesus. I mean, yeah, I believe he's son of God, but I don't study my Bible. I don't. Go to church. I don't talk to people about Jesus. You know, it's not works. It's the attitude involved. The attitude. That Jesus is my King and I'm going to share Him. Jesus is my Lord. And He's the center of my life. We live in a world of apathy. When Jesus spoke of Satan's fall here, he talked about how he went from glory to the profane. And every time the kingdom of Jesus is presented in truth and in power, it's like judgment, another judgment against Satan again and again and again. But every time that you have the attitude of apathy that it, I just I'd rather watch TV than Speak to the Lord. You're being held around the throat. Don't even know it. Satan's choking the life out of you. That's what he wants. Apathy. People that profess to be Christians but don't walk with God. That's apathy. You see, Jesus said in verse 21 of Luke 10, then when He heard these 70 talk about what all they had witnessed in His name and the people responded to Jesus, He said in verse 21, at the same time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit because people listened and obeyed. They committed. And that's what happens now. Every time that we bring someone to Christ, every time that we make a decision to be committed to Him, joy fills His heart. Because that's why He came. To rescue us from dominion of sin from a world of apathy. There's so much to learn in this chapter and we're hitting parts of it. You know, as I was studying this, I could spend a month in chapter 10. But here it is. The joy that we bring God, the joy that we bring Jesus Christ when we no longer are apathetic. When we make the commitment that I'm going to walk with my God and make Jesus Christ the center of my life. The people of Capernaum saw miracles. They saw him teach. You have seen. You have seen the works of God. You have seen them. I've witnessed them. I'm one of them. And if we ignore what we see, we ignore what we hear. When we grow to the point that those things don't touch us and reach us, we are as guilty as the people in Capernaum. Don't be apathetic. It matters. Eternity is at stake. It matters. Raise your children in the admonition of the Lord so they'll be prepared to go out into life. Don't keep your kids away from God. It's not more important to play ball. And look, I've been in ball since I was eight years old. I'm 62. Nobody spent more time on a ball field in here than me. But playing ball on God's day, it's not right. It's not right. If that's more important than Jesus Christ, it's not right. Doing it habitually is not right. Going to all kinds of activities. And you so you're getting personal. That, yeah, I am. This is personal. Because if I don't say this, if I don't send this message, I'm held accountable. as a minister of the gospel, as an elder of this church, I am held accountable for what I say or don't say. It's time to put Jesus Christ first. It's time. Let's pray. Father, we want so much to bring you joy. We want so much Father, to make you happy with us. Father, help us. Fill us with your spirit. And Father, I pray that anyone here today has that apathetic spirit that, Father, you remove that apathetic spirit and, Father, fill them with your spirit. Our weaknesses as human beings, selfishness and pride, Father, we ask that you remove those as you fill us with your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for all you do and how much you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast. We are located at 990 West Henry de Tonti Boulevard in Tontytown, Arkansas. You can check us out on the web at freedomfellowship.com or you can find us on social media by searching Freedom Fellowship N-W-A. We hope you have a great week and that you live out the mission of the church, which is to love God, love others, and serve both.